Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? Come on, let's get into it. We're alive. We're here. We're, we're past the wonderful part of the time change, right? Like now we're adjusted, and so you all are just tired again. Um, but I'm excited to be with you this morning. We're continuing on in our series called Promised, and if this is your first time with us, it's this series where we're looking at the promises of the Messiah in the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled those promises and why that's so important to us because, you know, we talked about it last week. I gave everyone a silver dollar, if you remember that, and, or a half dollar, and we kind of talked about if you stack those two feet tall over the entire state of Texas, that that's the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 48 messianic promises and really 327 prophecies overall. And so we're in this series going to be looking at just eight of these prophecies that come out, but really all of these prophecies are given in moments that they need hope. Right? You don't promise someone's coming when everything's going okay. You promise that somebody's coming when things aren't okay. And so this series is really going to focus in on all, all, the, all of these things and in this moment where we can have this hope of the Messiah. And so this week I was traveling. I went to Houston, and I don't know about you, but, I mean, travel is just getting harder and harder. It just seems like, I mean, you can get to places faster, right? But the, the things that you have to go through to travel are just unbelievable, right? And you got to get there three hours early. And like, we're going to Israel um, in just a few days, honestly. And so we have to do all of this testing. Jennifer Shear is here today. I was telling her out in the parking lot. She was like, you know, how is everything going? I said, honestly, I've been there like four times. That's not the problem. It's all of this testing because Thanksgiving is when we're, you know, we would have our 72-hour window, but no one's open on Thanksgiving to do testing, so then we have to wait, and now we got to, it's just been a nightmare, but we're getting there. We figured it out. God has split a sea, and we're on our way, but, you know, as I was thinking about, like, plane trips and all these things, you know, really the worst part of a flight is when you're getting to your destination, and I don't know about you, but I kind of set my mind mentally to, like, when we're going to land. So I'm checking my watch, I'm checking my phone, and I kind of have set in my mind, like, this is the amount of time that I have to be here. This, this is the, the number of hours that I have to be stuck here, because for me to sit still in life is pretty hard, right? And I'm like the overambitious person, like, I'm going to read a book on the plane, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to write a message, right? And I don't, right? I just watch a movie. But I just think through these moments of Man, okay, we got 20 minutes. And, you know, that's, there's the ding, ding when you're 20 minutes out from your destination, like, bing. And you're like, okay, here comes the captain. And he's going to say, all right, everybody, we're about 20 minutes. We're going to begin our initial uh, descent into Houston or wherever you're going. Hey, flight attendants, could you just prepare the cabin for landing? And, you know, that's when you got to put your tray table up and uh, get packed up to leave, right? The worst part of a flight and this has happened to me a few times, is when you're doing that and you get into this portion where they get on the flight and it goes bing and they go, hey folks, hey, just got to let you know there's a little bit of a delay on the ground and so we're going to just have to circle the airport for a little bit and we're going to have to wait before we land. 
And I don't know about you, but that's about the time that I start to go crazy. I'm kind of like, like, what do you mean we're not landing? Like, this is the amount of time that you said I was going to be on this plane. And you, if you're like me, you think, oh, man, like, is this going to be forever? Like, how long is this going to last and what's going to happen? In fact, one time I was on a plane and the guy gets on and he's like, hey, folks, yeah, the tailwinds were a little bit faster than we thought. So uh, we didn't burn enough fuel, so we can't land the plane. The plane's too heavy right now. And I was like, the plane's too heavy? And he's like, we're just going to have to fly around and burn some gas. And I was like, like, is this for real? Like, is this part of life? I was like, put that thing, put the afterburners on. Let's get to the ground. Like, I just want to get landed. But honestly, like, that part of the waiting to land, like, you can see the promise of where you're supposed to be. You're literally flying around the city you're supposed to be in. You're like, oh, there's the Empire State Building, and oh, there's this, and oh, there's that. Like, I'm so close yet so far. And I don't know about you, but that to me is the most exhausting time. It's not the time when I'm traveling from where I was to my promise. It's when I have to wait. And I feel so close to the promise of God. I feel so close to the promise of where I'm supposed to be that waiting is exhausting. And I don't know if you feel that way, but kind of life feels like that. In fact, I entitled today's message, Exhausted in the Waiting. And so we're going to jump into the book of Genesis today, and we're actually going to go through multiple chapters. Don't worry, I'll make it exciting and engaging, right? Because some of us, we always look at the Bible like in one verse or a couple verses at a time, and what you realize is is that there's this 10,000-foot view of the Bible. Like we in college always do this, and I do this with my students. Um, What's the one thing the whole thing's saying? Like, if you had to give me, like, you, you were writing, you know, like, on the back of a book, they have, like, this little quick synopsis, what would you write on the back of the Bible? What's the one thing this whole thing talks about? Right? Because sometimes we have to see that from Genesis to Revelation, this is one continuous story of God. This is one message, right? And it's fall, rescue, redemption, consummation, right? We have the fall. We have God rescuing his people, After Jesus comes, he redeems, and then what? New heaven, new earth. That's the whole story. It's about how God saved humanity for his glory. And so what happens in this moment is we're going to take kind of a 10,000-foot view of the book of Genesis. I hope to put some pieces together, but we're going to study the life of Abraham. Now, in a lot of our verses, he's going to be called Abram. His name changes. God has a way of when he redeems you and rescues you of changing your name. Right, we've talked about this. Some of you have been identified in your life by your sin, but reality is, is you're not identified by your sin. You're identified by the name that God calls you. And a lot of times in the Bible, God changes people's names. Right? From Saul to Paul, Peter's name is changed, right? From Simon to Peter, Abraham's name is from Abram to Abraham, Sarah, Sarai to Sarah. This happens all of the time in the Bible. And what it is to signify is you're this new creation now. You're not the old you, you're this new creation. You're not just a broken vase that's been glued together, you're a whole new vase altogether. And that's what the Bible is signifying, but we're going to jump in here. In Genesis chapter 11, let me catch you up on what's going on in the Bible. So Abraham, we're kind of introduced to him for the very first time in the book of Genesis right here. So Abraham is living with his father, Terah, and in the story in Genesis 11, there's this story called the Tower of Babel. 
maybe you've heard that, right? Like, you've heard about this story where this, these people all together, the world is unified and has one language, and they decide that they're going to build a tower to heaven. And God sees this and goes, you couldn't handle heaven right now, so I'm not going to bring you up here, and you can't do this. And so God destroys the tower, but what he does to the people is he separates them, and the Bible says that he gives them different languages. And this is where the languages of the world come from. Well, then we're immediately introduced to Terah and Abraham. And what happens is they're living in this city called Ur, and God calls them to leave Ur to go to Canaan. And so Terah gets his family, Abraham, Sarai's there, Lot's there, the whole family gets up and they begin to move. But on the move, kind of halfway between Ur and Canaan, the promise, it's kind of like if you got off at your connection. They stop at this city called Haran, and they kind of settle in in this city too much. And I don't know about you, but like when we're going towards these promises and the promises of God, sometimes we get off at the wrong connection, right? Some of us in our life have literally, you, you know, I was on my way to Houston, so I flew from Sarasota to Atlanta, Atlanta to Houston. And when I got, it's like if I would have just gotten off at the plane in Atlanta and go, you know what? It's not Houston, but it's good enough. I can't have my meetings here. I can't do what I need to do here. But, you know, Atlanta's kind of nice. Like, okay, we'll just stay here. And that's exactly what happens to Abraham and his family. So Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, listen to what it says. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, a son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. They settled at the connection. And what happens is, is Terah, he lives to 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now, look at what happens. God goes, hey, your destination wasn't Haran. Your destination is Canaan. And so the Lord says to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. It's time for you to get up and go to Canaan. Now, I remember like when I was on one of these flights and I, you know, the guy gets on and he goes, hey, we're going to be in the waiting. We're going we're gonna to have to circle the airport for a while. We're not going to be able to land. And at first I was really mad. But then I, you know, I do what most of us do. I start scrolling through the movies, right? And I saw a movie. I was like, I've never seen this. I actually want to see this. I really want to watch this movie. So instead of I unpack all my stuff again, I get my noise-canceling headphones. You know, I do all that stuff. I'm getting snuggled in. I got my blanket, and I'm like, you know, we could be here forever. Who knows, okay? And I start watching this movie, and it's getting good. I mean, I'm like, man, I'm glad I watched this, right? And then all of a sudden, about halfway through the movie, just as it's getting like, what's going to happen? And I was like, you better not say it. You better say it. We're going to be up here for another two hours, right? But no, he goes, hey, folks, Captain here, got great news for you. We've been cleared to land. So we're going to go ahead and set off immediately. Flight attendants, prepare the cabin for landing. And I was like, oh, come on, man. Like, I already was ready, but now I'm comfortable in the waiting. I've settled in here, and now you're going to take this away from me. And like what was originally disgruntled for me to go to where I should have been I got comfortable in being on the plane. And I think that's what happens to so many of us as we're moving towards the promises of God in our life. We get comfortable in the waiting. 
We kind of figure out that the waiting is comfortable enough. How many of us have made, like, we're not where we should be, we're not where we're supposed to be, but we've made our Haran the nicest place to wait? Could I just tell you that maybe God is making you a little bit uncomfortable in life right now because he doesn't want you to wait in Haran. Maybe the reason that you can't seem to find peace, you can't seem to find comfort, you can't seem to find that money that you want to make, you can't seem to get those relationships going is because God doesn't want you to be comfortable there. Because he didn't build you for Haran, he built you for Canaan. See, what happens to so many of us is that we've gotten used to the waiting and we're not willing to move forward anymore. In fact, Abraham gets sucked into somebody else's waiting. Right? Terah was supposed to go to Cana, and Abraham's like, you know what? You're in the waiting. I'm going to just wait in your promises. I'm just going to do this. How many of us are stuck in relationships or mentalities or parts of our life that aren't our promise, but we're stuck in someone else's waiting? I'm just going to wait till they get better. I'm just going to wait till they do this. God's not calling you to wait right now. God's calling you to go to what he's promised you to go to. And see, this happens to us because we settle for good enough. Yeah, Haran was not Canaan. Haran is not the promised land. Haran is not the place that God promised to the people of Israel. But you know what? It was good enough. And let me just ask you, are you settling in this life for good enough right now? God's promised you something so much more, but you're just settling because you've made the waiting comfortable. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. If you don't know C.S. Lewis, he's a prolific writer. He's probably one of the greatest minds, modern minds that we've had in our world. Uh, I look up to him tremendously. In fact, he started out as an atheist. Um, if you want to read his stories and, and what he does, Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe, Narnia, things like that. He was best buddies with Tolkien. They would walk around. I've been to the garden where they used to walk at Oxford and talk about the Lord of the Rings and talk about Narnia and they talked about theology and there's a pub there called the Eagle and Child. Um, there's, a, there's a literal bench where they used to sit every night and have drinks and talk about theology. It's, it's awesome. I look up to C.S. Lewis. He's this incredible figure and he has a way of talking about the struggles of the human soul in a way that we can all understand. And Lewis talks about this. So listen to what C.S. Lewis said. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. It comes out of this book called The Weight of Glory. That's how you settle for Haran. You're too easily pleased. I'm not saying that you need to be unpleasable. We all know that there's 2% of people you're never going to make happy. Right? There's certain people that have been in our church that, like, there's nothing you can do to make them happy. And they leave. And you say, oh, okay, you're going to go bother somebody else. Right? And so the Lord loves you. He's got another home for you. Okay. (laughs) But I wonder here in this moment if you're just too easily pleased. If, if part of the reason that, that we are, and this is what happens to Abraham in this moment, they're just too easily pleased. Haran was okay. So how do you and I get out of kind of being exhausted in the waiting? 
Because let me just tell you something. When you're not where God wants you to be, it's going to be exhausting and it's going to wear you down. And maybe some of you right now are sensing that in your life. Like, we're actually getting ready to go into the loneliest, most oppressive part of the year in just the next few weeks, right? Thanksgiving to Christmas is the most depressed time of year in the United States. Because people realize they're in the waiting. They're not where they want to be or where they should be. Families are, are torn apart and all of these things. And so what happens in the Bible is, as we go into Genesis chapter 12, is God is going to do some things to initiate Abraham to move. Okay, so listen to this. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 to 4. I will make you, this is God talking to Abraham, a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That's the promise of the Messiah right there. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all the nations on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Look at how old Abraham was. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. It's never too late, right? (laughs) I want you guys to think about this. Let me just tell you something. God can't make you a great nation in Haran. He's not going to. That's not where he's called you to be. See, some of us want all the promises of God, but not in the place of God. God's called you somewhere in your life, but you want all the blessing, all the promises, all of those things in the waiting right now. And God says, I'm not giving you those things. Those blessing and those promises are for this place. And you're wondering, like, why am I not experiencing the fullness of this Christian life, this life that I read about? Why am I not seeing miracles? Why am I, why am I struggling with joy? Why do I have bouts of depression? Because you're not where God called you to be, and he's not going to make the waiting comfortable. Maybe the reason you sense this unsettling in your soul is God saying to you, like, your appetite is too weak. We need to grow your appetite. We, we need you to move forward in this life. In fact, um, a couple years ago, we, we, I was taking some people out to dinner, okay? And I really wanted to bless them. They had worked really hard for me. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to take them. And this is like the place where your steaks are 75 to $100, Okay, so it's a nice place, and some of these people had never been to a really nice steakhouse, right? And so I was like, hey, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be incredible. You're going to love this. This is going to be great. But what I realized in life, there's a dilemma. Because, Because they had never been to places like that and enjoyed probably the best of something, they had built an appetite for something less than the best. They had built an appetite for something that was down here when the promise of everything that is good is up here. And so they, they learn to be satisfied with second best. And I don't know about you, but if you've had like a really not great steak, you need some A1, right? Like you need a little bit of, I need something on this thing, right? This is not good. But then when you go to a $100 restaurant where they're serving you the best steak, cooked the best, like with, it's unbelievable, you shouldn't need A1 sauce for that. You shouldn't. So we're at this restaurant, and we're ordering, and we're about to eat, and like, I mean, this, like, a filet mignon, super thick. I was like, oh, yeah. And, And as soon as the guy came, he puts it on the plate, and the guy's like, where's the A1 sauce? 
And I was like, oh, no! <laughs> right? I was like, oh! And I just was like, hey, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the guy, the guy was like, uh, <laughs> the waiter was like, it's like he'd never been asked that before. He's like, oh, let me go, you know, I'll go find some. And he brings back this sauce, and it's not opened. And the guy goes, look, brand new sauce, never been opened. I was like, that's because no one uses it. It's not like you just found the right one. <laughs> no one uses that sauce because that's a $100 steak, and you're putting a $1.59, oh, right? So, but I, hey, hey, but what I realized is, is what you feed your appetite is what you're satisfied with. And if you're not feeding yourself the best of God and all that God has, you're going to learn to settle for second best in A1 sauce. And I'm not like here to diminish all of those things. I wouldn't show up at at Waffle House and go, hey, why isn't this steak like that $100 filet mignon? I get it. Like, and there's nothing wrong with Waffle House. It is what it is. Sometimes we all need a little Waffle House, right? Like sometimes we just got to go. Um, It's not like a less, but it's not the prime, the best of what something could be. Right? And so we, you know, you can go to like Taco Bell or you can go to like a real authentic Hispanic Katina restaurant. It's a way different experience. But like, what are you settling for in this life? And so what God does, because Abraham and Sarai and the family are settling. The the text actually says it. They settled in Haran. They got comfortable in their waiting. And so how does God get them out of the waiting? He gives them promises. He starts to say, hey, where I'm sending you, where we're going to go, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to protect you. And those who bless you, I'll bless them. And those who curse you, I will curse them. What he's saying is, I got your back. I know it's scary to leave the waiting because you've made it so comfortable, but you're exhausted in this, dude. Let's go to where I've called you to be. And so let me just ask you right now, what promises of God have you forgotten? See, because in order to be settled in the waiting, you've got to forget what, what was promised. You've got to forget it. You've got to stop thinking about what God has actually said he wants to do in your life so you you can settle, because you'll never have peace if you don't forget. So let me ask you, like, here's what some, like, this, the way this conversation works, like, because you're going to get just get comfortable in the waiting. I'll give my life to Jesus later. What you realize is when you're waiting, you're deferring the blessing. Instead, you could give your life to him now and experience freedom. How about this? I'll serve when I have more time. How about maybe when you serve now, you will automatically have more time because you'll prioritize your time. Because let me just tell you something, church. You can do a lot more with less. Maybe you won't waste as much time. Because i got to prioritize. i got to do this. How about this? I'll forgive when. See, you're deferring the blessing of the freedom of when you forgive others. Because forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. When you forgive, you're letting go of the need of you making things right, things being right for you. So now you're in a bondage to a person who's already hurt you. Why does that make sense? I'm going to stay in bondage to this person who I need to make things right for me, and I can't move on until they do that. I'll forgive when they ask for it, when they do this. All you're doing is deferring the blessing of freedom, of peace. You know, I... The Lord, it's the Lord's. I'm letting go. Lord, you do it. I forgive him. You do what you need to do. 
What about this? I'll join a group when I have more time, when I feel like it, when I meet cool enough people, when people aren't so weird, when I'm over being hurt, when I'm not scared of being known, when I'm more comfortable with myself because people think I'm weird, when I get over my anxiety. Instead, you're missing the blessing of being known and people walking through life with you. How about this? I'll give more when I have more. B.S. Because giving isn't a matter of the amount in your bank account, it's a posture of the heart. You can give a penny. That it's not, I'm not asking you to like tithe and give yourself into debt. I'm not actually, that's not biblical. Don't do that. But what I'm asking you to do is to develop a giving heart. If it's 10 cents, it, I don't know. But I used to tell kids this in college because I worked with college students a lot. They used to say to me, I'll give more when I have more money. And I'm like, you think that giving $10 in the tithe is easier than writing like, or is harder than writing a $100,000 check? No. Like you're like, $100,000. Right? Like your hand, I got a cramp. I can't finish. Right? Like because giving is about a heart posture, not about a bank account number. And so maybe you won't need more money because you've been freed from the love of money because you're giving. Maybe you won't, like, how is it going to happen? How is this all going to come together? How, how is this going to, like, because I have all these needs, God, and God says, like, well, I want to build your faith, so let's give and let's trust in this moment. And you're missing the blessing of being freed from one of the things that's ruling our country right now. It's ruling us. Look, if you don't, I'm just going to say this. This isn't a sermon about money, but I'm just going to say it. If you don't rule your money, your money will rule you. It, it's like a tyrant. Because I watched a show called Billions a while ago, and this guy's like, he's worth like $10 billion, and he's kind of like crooked in the way that he's making his money. And this guy says to him, how much money is enough? Like, when will it be enough? And he said, never. It will never be enough. And I thought, that, that, that's a miserable life. You're just running after the dollar your entire life. You'll never have peace. You'll never have rest. Isn't that what money's supposed to help us get? Peace and rest. But if there's never enough, then you're never okay. And so what you have to realize is as God has given you some promises to get you out of Haran and move you towards what he has for you. And so God reminds Abraham, I'm going to give you some of these promises. And Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 is a promise that every nation in the world will be blessed by him, by his offspring. That's why this is so important, because Jesus comes out of the lineage of Abraham, right? But what goes on here is then Abraham and Lot, in Genesis chapter 13, they go through this, they're together, they realize there's not enough kind of land and food in the land to kind of support both families so they separate. Abraham goes one way, Lot goes another. During that time, these kings rise up and, and there's a kingdom of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay, these two cities, and that's where Lot is. Well, these other kings from outside of the land come in and they annihilate Sodom and Gomorrah, and what they do is they come in and they capture Lot. They steal him, like kidnap Lot. They take all of his stuff, all of this money, all of these people, and they steal him. Well, Abraham hears about what just happened. So Abraham's like, let's mount up. We got to go save Lot. Let's go get him. So they go up to this area called Dan, 
If you go to Israel with us one time, I'll take you to Dan. You'll see it. I'll show you the gate that Abraham walked through to go rescue Lot. There's only one gate from the north that, Lot, that Abraham would have had to walk through to go get Lot. And so he goes and he meets up with this caravan. They annihilate the caravan. And when they do, they rescue Lot. Well, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah go, bro, you're the man. You just annihilated our enemy. We want to give you some stuff. We want to give you all the treasure that you brought back, we'll give you. We'll give you all the things that you provide. All we're going to ask is you give us your people, but we'll give you all the treasure. You'll be set up. Life's going to be incredible. And remember that Sodom and Gomorrah isn't the greatest city in the world. In fact, in a couple of chapters in Genesis, God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So what do they do? Sodom and Gomorrah unknowingly begins to promise Abraham a partial part of the promise of God. You'll be blessed. You'll have all this money. You'll be okay. You'll have everything that you need. You'll be able to settle down and retire. See, because what happens in the waiting is you get exhausted, and when you get exhausted, you settle, right? How many of us, like, you're hungry and tired, and you go to the grocery store, but you're on a diet, right? And then you get to the grocery store, and the Funyuns, and the Ho-Hos, right? And, like, the honey buns are, like, looking at you, like, hey, I'm right here. Like, eat me. And you're like, um, okay, I'm exhausted and tired. I deserve it, right? Like, I've been on a diet for 12 hours. I need it, right? Like, what happens when you're tired and exhausted is that you'll settle. And that's exactly what Abraham is tempted with. We want you to settle. We want you to take a partial part of the promise. See, so many of us are satisfied with a partial part of the promise. You guys realize, like, I just want to say this, like, the end game for us is not here. The end game for us is new heaven, new earth. We've made the waiting really comfortable. And you're taking partial fulfillment of the promise of heaven and freedom, and you're just saying, well, at least I'm safe for then. And God says, no, I want you to take hold of this promise now because it's going to free your life right now. What if you didn't care what everyone thought of you? What if we didn't care that we, you know, that we had to have this kind of car or this kind of badge or this kind of job or this kind of spouse or this kind of kids or these kinds of things, and we just settled for heaven and everything else on this earth didn't matter anymore? Not that we were jerks and walked around, but we just, there was no longer a hold on us. Haran was not a place of pleasure. It was just a place of passing through. Have you thought about your life like that? If you're a Christian... This is just a pass-through. Stop trying to make it so comfortable. I mean, you can enjoy it. You can have parts of this place that are great as we're getting ready to go to heaven, but don't make this like heaven 2.0. It never will be. You'll never be satisfied. And so what happens here is in Genesis chapter 15, these kings begin to promise Abraham all of this stuff. And Abraham responds and says, look, I can't take your money, and I can't take, like, you can't have my people. But how many of you have said no to something in life that you thought would really satisfy you, and you said no, and then you walk away, and you're like, I'm such an idiot. Why did I say no to that? Like, that sounds actually pretty good. Like, why in the world would I say no to this? 
That's exactly what happens to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. And this is where the Abrahamic covenant comes in. But listen to what it says in Genesis 15, verses 1 to 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. God says, hey, I'm going to encourage you. I want to remind you of something. I know you just withheld against this temptation, so I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to say some things that are going to encourage you. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. What does he say? I'm your promise. But Abraham... Normally, a but in the Bible is a great thing. This one isn't great. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, you're in control of all things. What can you give me since I remain childless? You told me I was going to be a great nation. You told me that I was going to have all these things. I got no kids. What do I do? I mean, I remain childless. Like, hey, do you remember? I just gave up. All these things that are blessing, it would have been a sliver of the deal, but I gave it up. It doesn't seem like you're coming through. And the one who inherit my estate is Eliezer. Eliezer? What a terrible name, right? Like, Eliezer's going to be the guy who gets all this? Like, he's like, like my cousin. That's going to be the fulfillment of the promise? Eliezer? This dude? He's awful. Well, God quickly remedies that. He says, Eliezer of Damascus, and Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. He thinks he's going to get a sliver of the promise. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Whew! Okay, not Eliezer, anybody but him. But look at what happens. God begins to give the promise. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky. And count the stars, if indeed you can count them. There's no like light ambience here. If you've been to parts of the world where you can actually see the stars, there's a lot more than what you can see here. And God walks him outside and says, Look, count them if you can. Look up in the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall be your offspring. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Let me ask you something. Are some of us stuck in the waiting and exhausted because we just aren't believing the promise? I mean, could you imagine having no kids, being now prior on 80 years old, 85 years old, it's been 15 years, 10 years since you got the promise, you have no kids, you have no future prospects, and you look up at the sky and God says, that's how many your descendants will be, and would you just look at that and go, there's no way? There's just, there's no way that this is going to happen. Abraham and Sarah have been trying to have kids for like 15 years. They're, they're dealing with, I mean, that's, how human is that? They're struggling with infertility. They're struggling with this, this idea and this hope. See, Abraham had to go rescue Lot and see all of these things happen, but he had to learn. This is the best thing that Abraham does. He doesn't settle for less. In that moment, he says, no, there's a greater promise on my life. But then he kind of gets in his head and goes, God, you said that there's a greater promise. I said no to all this money and all this land and all this blessing. I don't even have a kid yet. And now you're going to show me a painted sky of stars and you're going to tell me that my descendants will be just like the stars in the sky? How is this going to happen? 
See, so many of us get off and stay at the detour because we don't believe that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. You kind of half-heartedly look at the promises of God and go, I don't know. I don't know if Canaan's really for me. I don't know if Canaan's really going to happen. I don't know if you're really going to be able to do this. The odds seem impossible. Did you guys know that Moses stuttered? And God says, hey, Moses, I know you killed a dude and you've been living like in a weird place in the desert and you just talked to me in a burning bush, but I'm going to go send you to go free the people. And Moses goes, don't you know I stutter? And God goes, don't you know I don't? (laughs) Go. And God, the promise of protecting me, the promise of freeing the people, how could you use someone like me? I stutter. God says, yeah, I've been doing that a lot. I've been using broken vessels for a very long time because my glory shows through. And so are you looking at the promises of God in your life and going, I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that can happen. I don't see how this is going to happen. And let me just tell you, so God gives Abraham this promise and Abraham does the right thing. He chooses faith. Okay, I don't see how this is going to happen, but I'm going to say yes to you, God. I'm going to say yes. Well, Sarah's a part of this equation too, right? Takes two to tango to have kids unless you're Jesus in the Immaculate Conception, right? But like, that's not happening here. And so Sarah gets desperate. Anybody ever gotten desperate in the waiting? Like you're looking at the place you're supposed to land and you're just like, get me on the phone with the pilot. Just land this joker. Like, let's get there, right? Like, let's go. You know what would happen if when you're in the waiting, flying around the airport, if the pilot goes, you know, I'm just sick of this. I see the promise. Let's go. You'd crash. You'd hit another plane. You'd collide on the runway. You'd do something like that. And see, all of us want to take a shortcut to God's promise, but God knows that if you go too fast, you won't be ready for what's going to happen. Maybe the reason you're in the waiting, and I know that it's uncomfortable because God wants to move you. God wants to develop your character. God wants to move you forward to be ready to inherit the promise because every promise or blessing is a curse in the wrong season. Everyone in here drive? Okay. What if you were three and we gave you the keys? Blessing, you got a car. Curse, it's going to kill you. Maybe God is withholding the blessing that he's promised you because you're not ready for it yet. And because he's a good father, he's not going to give you the blessing that could be a blessing used in the right way for your own destruction. But see, Sarah has a problem. Sarah gets a little freaked out. She begins to force things. And when you and I are in the waiting and we're getting exhausted, I'm going to just tell you, don't force it. When you don't see a way, don't force it. Move forward in the steps that God shows you. Keep going. Keep moving towards the promise. Don't make the waiting too comfortable, but also don't force it. Look at what the Bible says, Genesis 16, verses 4 to 6. So Sarah has this maid, or this servant. Her name's Hagar. And Sarah goes, you know what? Okay, I can't have kids. I'm getting real old, like real old. And this isn't going to happen. So I got Hagar. She's young. She's pretty. She's Egyptian. I'm going to give her to Abraham as his wife. He's going to sleep with her, and then they're going to have a baby. That's how the promise comes together. Have you ever figured out in your life how God's going to make the promise happen? You go, oh, yeah, that's how. <laughs> Got it. Okay, good. I'm moving that way. Sarah hits the wrong target. Look at what the Bible says. So she gave Hagar to Abraham as his wife, and he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. No problem. Wham. Baby. 
When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. See, because when you do things and you're trying to get to the right place in the wrong way, you'll have disastrous results. So she gets pregnant, and now she hates her mistress. She hates Sarah. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave or my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think. Look at what happens. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Right thing, wrong way. All because they were exhausted. All because they were tired of the waiting. It's just like trying to land the plane when they don't give you the all clear. You're going to have disastrous results. And some of us are so desperate to see the promise and the blessing of God in our life, we don't realize that we have to work on our character and our development to receive it. You know what NFL stands for? Not for long. Do you know that like almost 70 to 80% of NFL players five years after they retire are bankrupt? That, that's probably a huge misservice by the NFL on these guys because you got 22-year-old kids coming out of college and they sign a $10 million contract. What would you do with $10 million when you were 22 years old? I'd invest in a Roth and I'd diversify in some stocks. No, you wouldn't. You'd buy Ferraris and Lamborghinis and houses. Right? Because there's a blessing, $10 million, character, and all of those things weren't there. I think the NFL should make every NFL rookie come in and they should teach them finances. That's, that's how you set someone up. You go, hey, there's this money. You can have some of this money. I think that there should be a clause. Like, it's yours. It's guaranteed. But we're only going to give you this much, but you have to go through these financial classes. And, by the way, we're going to recommend that you get a financial advisor and an accountant and people to help you manage this blessing in your life because I don't know about you. When I was 22, I couldn't manage that kind of money. And so you understand, then you've lived a life of $10 million, but now you have none. Now it's a curse. Why did this ever happen to me? And so just remember, like, maybe you're in the waiting and you're uncomfortable because God's causing you to develop your character. But as we get ready to end, something incredible happens. The Bible moves forward, and this promise is given to Abraham. And then in verse 17, or chapter 17, Isaac is promised. Hey, you're going to have a son in a year, and his name's going to be Isaac, and here's what's going to happen. Genesis 18, Sarah laughs. She's at the tent. Jesus visited, visits Abraham in the tent. It's called a Christophany in the Old Testament. And he says, by this time next year, chapter 18, verse 14, you will have a son. And she laughs. <laughs> yeah, right. You've been promising this for a long time. And so what does God say to name the son? Isaac. Isaac means laughter or joy. To remind them always of his promises. And then Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed and then we have this story of Abimelech. But in Genesis 21 verse 5, the promise comes. Genesis 21 verses 1 to 5. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised a year ago. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. She's old too. At the very time God promised him. At the very moment he promised 
them. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham, look at this, was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. That's important. How old was Abraham when the promise came? 75. He's now 100. It's taken 25 years to have this kid. He got exhausted in all of the waiting. You know that baby that Hagar had? His name's Ishmael. Do you know that that's where Islam and Christianity splits right there? Do you know that that's where this war between two ideologies started? Because Islam says, no, the rightful heir to Abraham is Ishmael. And they said, no, the rightful heir is Isaac because the promise was given to Sarah. And so, that, see what happens when you force things? You get desire, disastrous consequences in your life. But see, it's always worth the wait. Isaac is born. Isaac comes into this world and this incredible moment happens and there's this fulfillment at exactly the right time. Well, the New Testament recognizes this because it was then when Isaac was born that Abraham received God's best, his promise. Well, in the book of Acts, there's a hope. The hope is we get God's best. See, that's what we're all exhausted and waiting for. These promises are here to come, but we're settling for second best. But the hope in all of these promises is the Messiah is God's best. Well, Peter, if you know him, he's in uh, Jerusalem, and he begins to preach and teach these people. And it's on this day that happens seven weeks after the Passover. Seven in the Bible generally refers to completion. And so on this day, it's this holiday in the Hebrew calendar called Shavuot, or the Day of First Fruits. And what would happen is, is after the Passover, where they would remember that death passed over them and that they were freed because of the lamb that was slaughtered and the blood that went on the doorpost, seven weeks later to the day, they would celebrate this holiday called Shavuot. Now listen to what it ha happens. This is when Peter's preaching on a moment. He says this holiday was to take place seven weeks after Passover. It was to remind people to give God their best. That's what it was. You gave the first 10% of your crop and you gave it to the Lord. It was a reminder for the people of Israel that they were to give their best to God. Peter changes this whole thing. Acts chapter 3 verses 24 to 26. Indeed, Beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold of these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with the, your fathers. He said to Abraham, he goes back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, being Jesus Christ, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. What Peter is saying is Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise of Abraham because every person in the world will be blessed by Jesus Christ. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ will be saved. And what Peter is saying, we might miss this, is, is on the day that we are to remember to give God our best, you need to be reminded that God gave his best. He gave Jesus Christ as this payment for you and I. And so let me ask you something, church. Where are you stuck in the waiting? And where are you not reminded that God's best is before you? Where are you settling? 
Look at what happened to Abraham when he got exhausted and he does all of these things. Are you settling for the world's best? Let me just tell you something. God's worst is better than the world's best. You're settling. This isn't home. This isn't meant to be comfortable. Abraham was uncomfortable the entire time. So on this day, we're reminded that not only are we to give God our best, but that God gave his best, Jesus Christ. And see, here's the crazy thing. You and I don't have to wait any longer for the promise. Jesus has come. Jesus lived, and he died, and he rose again. And the Bible says the waiting's over. You only need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for your sins, and he rose again, and you will be saved. You can have God's best right now. The waiting's over. You don't have to be exhausted anymore. You can lay in the plane. It's clear. All the traffic is gone. Everything is moved. And God says all you got to do is believe and confess and know that he is Lord. God gave his best for us. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And when he arrived on this earth at Christmas, that's when the promise arrives. And the fulfillment begins to happen. And so where are you right now? Like in this life and in this moment, maybe you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're not going to get God's best in your life till you get him. He's the key to the blessings of God. He's the key that you and I walk through and we have this abundant life in Jesus Christ. And it's not just for heaven, it's for now. And so maybe for the very first time in your life, you need to believe in God's best, Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to have you bow your head and close your eyes right now. Maybe you're exhausted because you've been trying to make this place heaven and it's never meant to be. And you've been doubting God's promises in your life and God's saying, I'm going to remind you about Jesus. It's time to leave Haran. It's time to move forward. You can't force it. You can't make it happen. But he's here and he's here now and he's in this place. And all you need to do is believe. But see, when you believe in Jesus Christ, other blessings are opened up to you. He's the door, he's the key that you and I can walk to in this life for so many blessings, for freedom, for peace, for comfort. Right? All of these things are found in him and in him alone. And so Christian, maybe you're in this room and you weren't designed for Haran, but you've kind of forgotten what your father promised you in heaven. And yes, you believed in Jesus to save your soul, but have you believed in him to rescue your life? Right now, you can have the blessings of God in your life right now. All you need to do is walk in the blessing. And God is reminding you, Jesus was the promise. It's time to leave Haran. It's time to move towards your promise in Canaan. And so as we end this morning... I just want to pray over us, and then I want to allow you to respond as the Lord leads. If you need to believe in Jesus Christ for the very first time in your life, there's no better time than right now. You don't need to wait any longer. Thank you for jumping into today's message, and we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you, and please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. 
But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.